Hi, this is Pastor Craig, and welcome to another Mill Creek podcast. This morning, I'm really happy that uh, we're here with a couple of guys, Pastor Jeremy from Mill Creek and an old friend of Mill Creek's, Cody Waterman, pastor at Proclaim Church up in Bonner Springs. And today we're going to have a conversation about resolving conflicts, which is a sermon series that we've got going on now at Mill Creek Time uh, Church, rather. And if we're talking about resolving conflicts, I imagine that uh, most of you are thinking, oh, great, we're going to talk about COVID, which we're not. It's the one thing we're not going to talk about. And that's just because there's no way that we're going to be able to cover that in a half hour, because it's something that is still going on and it's changing every week. Um, so what we're going to talk about is another big conflict, which I think uh, all of you would probably be resonating with, which is politics in the church. And I'd like to start by asking each of you guys in whatever order you want to go in, is um, have, have politics divided your church? Have you seen that at all or any signs of it? Well, I'm just, I'm so mad you've asked this question. I need this conflict resolution <laughs> sermon series to even know how to resolve this right now, Craig. So no, uh, in all seriousness, thanks, Craig. Cody, thanks for being here. Uh, definitely. I've seen politics uh, feel real, real starkly at Mill Creek, just noticing some folks on both sides of the aisle creating a lot of angst and division. How about you, Cody? Yeah, I think, well, thanks guys for letting me be here. And I'm so glad that we decided to take such a light topic on this first uh, <laughs> recording. Um, now, yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, I think probably for us at Proclaim, uh, maybe less than uh, I've heard from uh, other pastors uh, and the situations that they're, they're dealing with. Um, but I think it still has um, created division or, or at least potential division. In Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah the there... way it's worked out for uh, the way it's worked out for us, in my view, has been that you've got folks who, to a different degree, get passionate about politics. And so, if we're thinking about a spectrum, no, no matter where you're at on either side, more conservative, um, more liberal, what I found is folks who find themselves moving out to the edges of passion, uh, have, have more uh, extreme views or feel their position more seriously. Those are the folks that especially seem to have a hard, have been having a hard time at Mill Creek um, in trying to reconcile how to make sense of politics within a church, because uh, at least the way Mill Creek works, we want to be a church of all different types of, of views that the Bible allows. And I think it's been really hard for some to go, wait, I'm not sure, uh, based on their political stance, again, on either side, wow, I'm not sure if the Bible allows the other. There's, there's this tendency to take the moral high ground, uh, which in my view, I don't think anybody can claim sinless, perfect moral high ground in any political party. And that's at my view there probably has caused some of the angst that some feel here at Mill Creek, because I'm not willing to grant that um, one side or the other is, um, is the ticket that Jesus Christ is voting for. 
Well, for um, both of you guys, in what ways have you seen this conflict being played out in your church? How do you know it's going on? Yeah, I think uh, just conversations and situations with uh, people in in the church over particular political issues or finding out or uh, uh, maybe not even finding out, but but maybe seeing something that someone has said or something that someone has posted uh, and then uh, jumping to an assumption or jumping to a conclusion that if you if you say that, then you must also believe this other list of things and uh, and then assuming that, and then maybe, maybe someone comes to me and says, do you know that this person, or did you hear that this person, and, and now I've got to kind of mediate that conflict. Yeah, the way, the way uh, you're describing it, Cody, is, uh, is what it's felt like to me as well. And social media in particular does such a terrible job, not, not necessarily the people of Mill Creek, but social media seems to be geared toward really brief sound bites, no nuance, no ability to clarify really complicated factors. And it leaves these, it leaves these sound bites out there that make, that, that actually paint both sides in the very worst light. And so if somebody says, I like this candidate or I like that candidate, well, then we have this tendency to, to quickly write them off or ascribe to them all of these positions that I think if we were face-to-face and were to ask, they very well may say, no, I don't agree with that. No, I don't agree with that. Yes, this is a very complicated, even this most recent presidential election. It's like I, had, I have not talked to anybody who said, oh, man, I could vote for this candidate with a clear conscience and it didn't trouble me at all. It seemed like everybody's holding their nose and kind of got one eye closed and pushing a – pushing a candidate. Uh, and yet that doesn't come out anywhere on, at least in the Christian dialogue uh, or, or supposedly Christian dialogue I'm seeing. It just feels like there's a lot of mudslinging and painting people in the worst light uh, at its worst, not giving people the benefit of the doubt. Um, and then frankly, just not talking face to face about it, getting offended and then starting to slowly pull away. And that's been so disastrous. Yeah. I, I, there has to always be a place in which, in particular, when you're talking about voting for particular candidates, uh, where where we would uh, vote for someone uh, in spite of some position that they hold, because, like you said earlier, uh, no matter what the vote is, no matter what we're talking about, there's always going to be uh, something that we're not always going. We're never going to. 100% agree, I don't think, with, with any particular candidate. Yeah. Well, you know, when you add politics with COVID, which we're not going to talk about, but when you <laughs> put the two of them together, um, it kind of feels like, boy, has the church ever gone through anything like this before in terms of divi- possible divisions in the church? And I know that in your experience, um, both of you guys are fairly young guys, to me anyway. And so you don't have decades and decades of personal background in the church, but you've, uh, you've read a lot about the church. And I'm just really kind of curious about putting this in context. How bad is this compared to history? Yeah, right on. I'm 42. I've been in this job for six years, been in pastoral ministry for coming up on 20 
um, but not as the lead guy. I, I appreciated Pastor Marty, who's almost at 25 years here at Mill Creek. And he said, you know, every election cycle, there seems to be a little bit of turnover here at Mill Creek. And uh, he knows since he's been around because it's like every four years, there's all this energy that starts to build up and some folks um, find themselves going, oh man, the political equation has got me in a position where I'm going to need to unplug from Mill Creek and presumably plug into another church. So at least from Pastor Marty's perspective, I took some comfort this last cycle to know okay, maybe this is just something to be prepared for that about every four years um, or every eight years, you're going to have some folks who go, man, things have changed for me and my relationship between me and the church, me and the church's view on politics, my view of politics, and, and, and people's views of politics ebb and flow. Um, but to that point, most of the stuff I've read has said it's never been quite this volatile and there does seem to be some snark and some stuff with social media that, 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 that leads people to be just outright. It doesn't feel Christian. Some of the stuff I read, my sense is, hey, even if I gave you the benefit of the doubt, this stuff feels out of bounds. So in that way, at least I haven't in my, uh, again, just 20 years between youth pastor, family pastor here, haven't seen people being that nasty to each other from my perspective. How about you, Cody? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, we planted Proclaim three years ago, so we've got very little history, and I've got less gray hair than you have, Jeremy, so I've got less uh, time in. Yeah, less time in as well, but um, I, I think I think social media adds a wrinkle that is new and different in that uh, we can connect with people uh, and have a sort of virtual community and 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 gather together around particular issues that maybe those people we might not interact with. Um, and there is a level in which we can um, fire shots without having real conversation with someone right in front of our, our face uh, and that, that we couldn't maybe in the past. However, uh, while I think probably in recent history, it seems to me uh, maybe more volatile than it has in a long time. I think if we look at it, in this, uh, the larger picture, uh, church history, um, I, I, I don't know that it's the, as unique as sometimes it's billed to be. You know, I've <clears throat> I had the opportunity once to actually visit a church, who uh, an old church building that had been uh, transplanted and, and put together in its, its uh, original um, form, right? And uh, it, it was a church building from the Civil War from the South in the, during the Civil War. And I got the opportunity to touch the bullet holes in the doors and in the floor of this building where people had gone by during the church service and um, fired shots at, because the pastor preached against slavery. And so even in our own history, let alone if you look uh, further back, I think you can yeah. find some pretty volatile times um, politically. No, it's a great point. I just finished a book called 1776. He won the Pulitzer Prize for it. And they were talking about the Whigs and Tories, these two, these two sides who had a different view of whether America should go through with the Revolutionary War or whether we should be loyal to um, Great Britain. And there were churches who were really struggling with that. And folks who ended up getting on boats and going back to London and other folks who ended up picking up guns and fighting against the 
uh, uh, the British in the in our in the Revolutionary War. So great point, uh, Cody. That if we if we do zoom out, there's been yeah bloodshed over stuff, and I and, and that hasn't happened um, in this context here to the degree it has, and even just in the short history of America. Yeah. Well, thanks for yeah adding that context. That's really helpful. So here's the big question that we want to talk about today. I imagine. Does the Bible have anything to say about how churches should deal with conflict, internal conflict? Yeah, so we've been working on our sermon series. I've been practicing it with the team, talking through some different elements. Um, So certainly the Bible speaks to this. And uh, my sense is Matthew 18 ends up being uh, an epicenter text for how we are to think about conflict is as Jesus gives his disciples and then by extension, his Christian community, those who call themselves Christ followers and want to follow as Jesus's disciples, he gives them instructions for how we're to proceed um, in relationship to one another. And so as we've been working through it, the way I've seen Matthew 18, uh, there's been some incredible principles that, that Christ brings forward in Matthew 18 that we're going to get to explore in the sermon series. Spoiler alert, you have to have an attitude of humility. And then uh, with humility is this sense of responsibility for those around you. Uh, couple that with when you are sinned against, um, you're supposed to go confront somebody and speak the truth, um, which is, of course, opposite to the way I want to I want to deal with conflict in my sinful flesh. When somebody hurts my feelings, I'm ready to go talk to my wife or Cody or Craig or anybody else except the person who's actually sinned against me. And so we find in Matthew 15, 18, uh, verse 15 to 20, you've got to confront. And then this piece of forgiveness that's going to end the chapter. So I've been spending a lot of time there, but that's the, that's the big text that jumps out to me when we're talking about, um, when we're talking about this idea of biblical conflict resolution. But one of the one of the nuances that I think is important, uh, that Cody's been helpful to me in thinking through, is this notion that um, there may be times where my feelings get hurt, perhaps to this point about politics. Oh, you think that about politics, and I disagree with you, and that hurts my feelings. And, um, you know, maybe there's some snark in a social media uh, uh, post and, and, and maybe there's, you know, more going on inside of me, but just cause my feelings get hurt does not mean that that other person was sinful in what they said or did. And so there's this important clarification, which is not that my feelings are Trump, but that when we're talking about biblical conflict resolution, especially as it comes with politics, it'd be important for us to consider what, Christ calls us to resolve sinful conflict, but some of what we may be feeling isn't sinful. It's more about just personally, I'm feeling some angst about your position, um, but we're really struggling to just have genuine conversations and understand each other's point of view. Yeah, uh, I think I think you touched on something that's really important there in, in all of the, the conflict uh, conversation. Uh, we have to ask ourselves why. What, what's what's the purpose? What's the what's the ultimate goal? And I think the ultimate goal is uh, our our holiness, our sanctification, our our growth in in godliness. Um, and so, however, whatever the conflict is, and however I'm approaching it, the question I have to ask myself first and foremost is what's going to please God in this? Um, and and how am I 
either pleasing God or not pleasing God. So if, uh, like you said, if my feelings are hurt, um, that may be an indication that someone has done something sinful against me. It may be an indication that there's actually some sort of sinful motivation in me that the thing that that person is doing is touching on, it's pressing a button, and God's actually using that to sanctify me. And so God puts us as Christians automatically into his church. And we are not sinless as of yet, you know, one day we'll be glorified one day uh, that, that will happen. But right now we're still in this process of sanctification. And so could it be that God puts us into a church where people may have different views than we have uh, for the purpose of sanctifying either our, our own views or their views or uh, our own character as we uh, uh, hammer through a an issue that's actually maybe less important than than where my own heart is in in relation to God. Yeah, right on. To make that concrete, one of the pieces that I've really had to wrestle with, like in my heart, is trying to clarify when I have sensed that somebody says something on social media that is inappropriate, I've had to wrestle with, wait, just because I necessarily wouldn't make that post, does that mean it's sinful for somebody else to make that post? And, and what it brought to the surface is there's all these unwritten rules that I've been living by, especially when it comes to politics and being a pastor and the relationship of social media. And some of those unwritten rules, they might be, they might be, um, they may seem biblical or they may seem right, but without actually contrasting them with what the Bible says, um, we, we can't just baptize our unwritten rules and say, hey, everybody else has to live by them. But one of the things I noticed is I got myself sideways in some conversations this recent political season because I kept projecting my unwritten social media politics rules and what you can and can't say onto others as if those things are equivalent to um, salvation by Christ alone. But those are very different animals. And there are people, thoughtful Christians, who have different unwritten rules, uh, different expectations for what you can and can't say on Facebook. And it was in having some of those really complicated conversations that what, what was able to come out of my heart was, oh man, I think some of my unwritten rules on Facebook may be more about my approval issues and some of my own sin that needs to be exposed less than it is about me sitting in judgment on another person. Not, not to say everybody uh, or, or in every situation that was the case, but that's a concrete example of how the Lord used something that initially for me, I was kind of pointing the finger and going, ooh, you're sinning, only to realize mm, not quite, it's not quite that simple. Yeah, I think uh, social media really does add a wrinkle to uh, to this conversation that that maybe and maybe that's where the difference is between what we're experiencing now and maybe what we're experiencing you know even the past few election cycles it's just it's continued to amp up as more and more people are on social media and different types um, but I, I think maybe I can say with definitive uh, uh, definitively that uh, the way you ought not to deal with this conflict in your church is to uh, just block your uh, fellow member, the fellow member of your church, right? Like we're called uh, to interact with one another who we're 
brothers and sisters in Christ with in a particular way, uh, to be in fellowship with them, particularly when we are members of the same church, to uh, encourage one another, to bear with one another, to love one another, to, uh, uh, to do all these things to one another. Um, uh, and I don't remember uh, blocking one another being, you know, one of those uh, uh, things. Um, but instead, if it's that important that you are that offended or you feel that emotionally uh, charged about it, um, perhaps that may indicate a, a situation where you actually need to sit down with that person and have a conversation to understand uh, where they are coming from uh, or to act, cause, because your questioning may provide them uh, insight into a hole in what they're thinking, or it may provide insight into a hole into how you are thinking about whatever that political issue is. Yeah, just to follow up for a moment on that, Cody, I um, I want to put in front of you a pastoral moment. So somebody comes to you and says, I'm not leaving your church, but I have a friend who I thought we were, I respected a lot. I respected this person's judgment. I saw something, I heard something that they said, or I saw something that they posted, and it is, it was, um, so unloving and maybe even morally wrong politically that I don't know if I can ever respect their judgment on anything quite the same way again. But I don't want to talk to them because that's not going to lead any place. They're not going to move. Nobody has moved in politically that I've seen. So now what am I supposed to do? Mm. Yeah. First off, I would say uh, the, uh, if you believe that there's no way that they'll move, you're not, you're, what you're doubting is the Holy Spirit. You're Preach. saying the Holy Spirit cannot do what the Holy Spirit says, what the Bible says the Holy Spirit can do. And so at the end of the day, uh, that's, that's an issue with you and your lack of faith and your lack of trust in scripture and in God mm. to do what he says he's going to do. Um, so you need to deal with that first off, I think. Um, no, that's not to say that that person's mind will be changed or they'll, whatever, but to say that it cannot happen uh, is, a, is a just a very direct denial of, of scripture. So I, I'd probably start with, with that. Yeah, Jeremy, get the log I... out of your own eye before you try to go get the splinter out of somebody else's. I also, at least the way it, I've experienced some of those comments, Craig, there's also this idea of like, um, like pragmatics is actually motivating um, and there's the, there can there can be this um, subtle, somewhat even spiritual sense of, well, it's not even going to work. So what's the point? But but Jesus doesn't ever give us a caveat mm. that look if it if you're there and you think it's not probably going to work, oh then you don't have to go talk to them. Rather, Jesus says no. This is what you have to do. And Paul picks that idea up. In, in the end of Romans where he says, so far as it's up to you, I think it's Romans 12, 9. I'll have to double check my cross-reference. So far as it's up to you, you need to live at peace with everyone that's in the Christian community. So, so if I see something and I just go, pretend it's you, Craig. I see something you post and I go, oh, no, I, I love, I respect Craig. He's like one of the spiritual fathers. He's wise. I look to him for advice. But then, but Craig said that on Facebook. And now I just don't know that I trust him and that I even want to listen to him. Man, that is, that's on me. If I don't come and face to face with you and not, and 
P.S. I'm not going to say it this strong when I preach it, but I think texting, I think emailing, I even think a phone call is not enough. I, I got sideways with a, with a couple and, and I called them and said, I'd like to sit down face to face. And I was, I was debriefing with my wife and she goes, man, you said everything you needed to say in that phone call. You apologized. You asked for their forgiveness. Basically, the face to face, you're just going to be regurgitating all that. Why are you doing that? And I said, you know, I don't have a Bible verse for this, but I think you getting face-to-face changes everything. Um, And I've been told somebody did the study and they said, it's only like 18% of language that when you communicate with the person is just the words. And then 55% is tone and the rest is your body language. And so I'm just so big on, you've got to do this thing face-to-face if you're really going to see the sort of healing I think Jesus wants, the kind of unity Jesus wants in his church, not to mention the benefit that if that thing happened between you and I, Craig, we sit down, we talk through it. It'll be hard and, and it'll be tricky. But at the end, when there's that unity and, and, and sin is confessed and forgiveness is offered, man, the strength that you have now to be able to go forward and fight together as, a, as unified in the spirit of Christ, it's powerful. And you want to talk about pragmatics. That's what unifies a church, not this attitude of, well, I'm not sure it's going to work, so I'll just I'll punt on this one. Yeah, I think, I think we uh, oftentimes think, well, yeah, I'll do this if it will work. And in God's economy, he's like, no, no, this is how it works. You do it. and I'll make it work how I want to. And we, uh, so we get that confused. Um, and we think it's about us when it's actually about God and perhaps even going and being obedient in, in it not working how we would wish may the result may be some sort of sanctification that's happening in us instead. But, but I think to the bigger question of, of, of what the scenario is that you laid out, I think uh, we have to consider a few things. Uh, first, um, you have to consider whether or not you might have been putting that person on too high of a pedestal in the first place. Um, you know, it makes me think about first Corinthians where there's division in the church. And Paul says, was Paul, uh, was it Paul who crucified you? Uh, was, were you baptized in the name of Paul? Um, you see, even, even the best pastor or elder or leader, they're going to get it wrong somewhere. So they may yeah. have this issue wrong. Um, but yeah, don't put them in the place of Jesus, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. You know? and, but I think, I think the other thing that you have to consider is if, if you have, seen this person as someone who you've looked up to, who's wise, who's spiritually mature, who understands God's word, who, who um, submits to God's word, who you've seen submit to Christ, and they have a different view on an issue than, than you have, then you have to, uh, you have to consider the, that there may be a chance that you are wrong on this and that you might not be seeing it. Um, because by your own designation, you are saying, well, I, I know less, I'm less spiritually mature. I, I've looked up to this person. Um, and so I think having that conversation, uh, with them going humbly and gently and asking those questions, um, genuinely, not just to say, just to tell them that you're right and they're wrong, but to genuinely understand, um, it, you may, uh, as we'll find out in Matthew 18, you may save them from going astray on some issue, or you might end up being uh, saved from going astray uh, on an issue because you came uh, to that conversation um, with an attitude of um, of learning and of of helping the other person uh, rather than um, 
just wanting to win, win an argument, I suppose. Right. So what I'm hearing you both say is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, that if I have strong feelings about politics, but I also have strong feelings that I don't want to talk about politics. I want to talk about mm -hmm. other stuff. Uh, we're living in an era that if we're offended by something, we may have to talk about politics, um, not publicly, but with that other person if we're offended by it. Um, and yeah. one thing that you said, Jeremy, I, um, yeah, I don't mean to cut you off, but one thing that you said I thought was really interesting was that tone is super important. Um, and that that's one reason why in email, we use so many emojis is that email is toneless and it's mm. really easy to get misunderstood trying to conduct any kind of a conversation of this kind of uh, weight in email. Okay, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I just wanted to reiterate that, that there is, if you feel very intense about politics, but you don't want to have the conversation with the person who's rubbed you the wrong way, the Bible does offer a category for being able to overlook something. And so there's times in a relationship where you may go, man, I didn't like that, but you know what? I'm not going to hold on to that. I'm not going to plant a seed of bitterness in my heart against that person for that. I'm going to let that go. And the way this practically looks like in a marriage, uh, you know, there's sometimes that, that I'm more grumpy than I mean to be. And Brooke will say, Hey, what's going on? And nothing. And, and like, she can just stop and go now, look, Jeremy, you're not demonstrating the fruit of the spirit with me right now. But if she did that every time I was a little more grumpy than I should be good grief, there would be, it would just be so hard day in and day out and vice versa. So there is a place where you go, you know what? Um, I, I'm okay. I'm okay that, that that little interaction happened. Not exactly like I wish, but I'm just going to let that go. We're going to keep on going down the road. Uh, the, the question becomes, can you really let it go? And so to a person who's sitting here listening to this, feeling so worked up, if you're like in the movie in your brain, you keep playing over some comment that somebody made and you can't let it go. And it's beginning to cause some division and you're starting to think, uh, nasty of that person doesn't sound to me like you're able to let that go. Doesn't seem like the gospel's uprooted that little seed. And I think you got to go. I, I think you got to go talk to them if that's if that's creating that fruit. Because what's going to happen is that seed's going to get planted. It's going to grow into a bitterness tree, and all of a sudden you're going to be in a position where you have to leave the church because you can't actually find any unity with that person. Um, but you haven't dealt with the conflict, and it's just so sad. On my end, having watched some long time Mill Creekers, man, I love them. I've cried over these people only to – by the time I get down face-to-face -face with them, I realize this ship has sailed. This tree has grown. The bitterness is too great, and now there's – and now you're not going to Matthew 18 this thing. Um, and even if you did, it's just – it's too far gone, and now you got to change churches over this. And that just – that – the Bible's so clear about church unity, and it's so vague about what politician you should vote for. It just really, to me, feels we've got we've got our priorities uh, confused. Yeah, uh, I'd agree with that. I think if you if you um, feel that strongly about something, but you are not all, uh, willing to allow uh, another uh, believer, a part of your body of Christ, right, to speak into that issue, if you have been are completely shut off to it. No, I believe this and I'm not going to allow anyone to speak into that. I wonder if you're even willing to allow um, Christ himself and his word to speak into your, um, your belief Ooh. in that area. No, you didn't. And, yeah. No, you and so didn't. I think what we got to do is we got to make sure that we're not 
starting with our issue and trying to import God's word into what we already believe. And rather we're starting with God's word, right? That the methodology that we take is let's start with what God's word says, and then let's work out of that, how these things should play out in our society and our culture, because right. God's word says over and over again, that Christ is authority over all things and, and, and that everything should be subjected to him. And so are we, are we, we merely grabbing one verse uh, or, or this or that and trying to import it into our already predetermined view? Or are we starting with God's word and going, okay, if I believe these things, um, because everything starts with our theology, right? Everything starts with what we believe there. Uh, and, then, and then going out from that. And I think, you know, I would commend to, to anyone um, a resource in, in seeing how to do that. Uh, is a book called by William Wilberforce, who obviously was a politician who uh, whose belief in God and in his word um, drove him politically to certain ends. And he wrote a book called A Practical View of Christianity, which it takes a little bit of uh, work to um, understand because the, the language is a little bit different than English today. But um, but I would wholeheartedly recommend that as a means to go, hey, this is how someone thought through, this is what I believe about God and how that works out politically. Thank you. I'll thank both of you guys because we are at our time limit now. This was really uh, encouraging, even in, in these uh, divided times.